Welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast, your guide to help you manage life, money, and multiples. Each episode, host Paul Fenner, Tama Capital's president and founder, and the proud parent of four amazing children, including one set of triplets, will provide insights on successfully sustaining an active lifestyle, career, and family through comprehensive wealth management strategies, financial education, and lifestyle planning specific to parents raising twins, triplets, and more. Learn more, subscribe to the show, or connect with Paul at TamaCapital.com. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for investment decisions. Clients of Tama may retain positions in the securities discussed in this podcast. Have you ever seen a purple squirrel? It's a term used within the recruiting industry that means a hard-to-find candidate. But the term and meaning go well beyond that. Carrie Chauche, a mom of three, wife, and entrepreneur, founded her boutique recruiting firm, Purple Squirrel Advisors, to help both employers and candidates find the perfect fit within their search. A process focused on integrity, ethics, and communication, allowing her firm to stand out in a crowd just like a purple squirrel. We talk about the latest trends in a stressed out job market for both employers and candidates an environment that has made it difficult for Carrie and her team, which she openly talks about. With the changes in workplace flexibility, Carrie discusses why candidates searching for a new career need to be deliberate in their thinking about their career path, to have transparent conversations with themselves so that they understand what they need and want from their careers. Please enjoy my conversation with Carrie Chauchet. So Carrie, welcome to the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Uh, it's it's great to, I know this is audio, but I can actually see you and it's great to see you because it's been several years since we last saw each other. But as we were talking uh, with, with social media, we keep up on each other's feeds and kind of know where each other's at, which, which is really cool. So thank you for being on the show today. Oh, thank you for having me. Great to see you. So I have actually been trying to get a hold of you for a while now to get you on. And now that I'm here, I am super, I'm even more excited because of what's going on in the economy and really the labor market, which is what, which is your wheelhouse. So for those that may not know you with our, with our audience, can you just give a little bit of background about what you do, who you are, the business you have, and then just as important how you ended up naming your business, which I think is super cool. <laughs> sure. Yeah, no, thank you for that. So, so first of all, um, again, Carrie Chauchet, um, first and foremost, I'm a, a mom to three kids. I'm a wife and I'm an entrepreneur. So that's those a little bit about me. Um, I ended up in recruiting by accident about 18 years ago. Uh, I studied finance in college, but actually Interestingly, I said I also studied art. So I, I got dual degrees at Notre Dame, uh, one in the business school, one in the art school. So I've always had, you know, just different interests. Um, started my career in finance and uh, spent about 18 months working in my first job. And it wasn't a great fit. And I ended up leaving that job and went to a recruiting firm to see if they could place me into something. Uh, something different, and they recruited me to work for them. And so that's coming up on um, 18 years in September. So um, just really like many recruiters, I fell into it. Um, I spent the the next like 10 years uh, working at a global recruiting firm, 
um, you know, different roles, leadership, recruiting, all kinds of different special projects. And um, it was a great experience. I learned a lot, but ultimately I felt like something was missing uh, for me personally in the way that the recruiting process was, was, you know, was happening. I felt like there was a human element that was missing, felt like it was very transactional at times. Um, in late 2012, my husband and I decided to move back to Michigan, my home state, to um, be closer to family. We had two kids at the time. We now have three, like I mentioned. And at that time, that's when my entrepreneurial journey really started. Um, I knew that uh, I wouldn't be able to compete with the large companies, you know, on with recruiting because they have just tons of people who are doing what's called pipeline recruiting and building this huge database. And so that's when I really started purple squirrel hunting. So purple squirrel is a recruiting industry term referring to the elusive perfect candidate, the unicorn, um, the way that I used it in my early days of recruiting at a global firm, they would say, work your A orders first, work your B orders second. And then they became increasingly more difficult. And like the likelihood of filling them became less as you kind of went down the, the, um, the, the chain. And they would say, if you have nothing else to do, work on the purple squirrels. And so when I moved to Michigan, I decided I was going to start with the purple squirrels. I wasn't even going to try to pick up those A orders. And so a couple of my first searches were um, a food scientist position. Uh, I worked on a director of revenue cycle for a hospital that had been open for almost a year. Um, so I just found like really niche um, searches with, you know, highly technical backgrounds, rural markets, I would go into rural markets and recruit there. So I just kind of got creative and did some like really true purple squirrel hunting. Um, but then kind of I mean, officially started purple squirrel almost seven years ago. And we've kind of redefined what it is to be a purple squirrel. We say that every search is the search for a purple squirrel. If you're really trying to get it right, if you're really trying to get the, the, the things that you can't see on paper, getting those parts of the search right, then we'll say the client has found their purple squirrel. And that's kind of the way we, we define it now. So what we do, we primarily work with small to mid-sized companies to place leadership talent. So we're a retained search firm. We only work on exclusive engagements. We get hired by the company to find a particular um, person for them. And so we work in four main areas, accounting and finance, operations, sales and marketing, and HR. So I talked to you that's the interesting part of, of how this show has developed. It's been a lot about um, transitions. You know, everybody that knows me knows that I'm in the financial planning space. But one of the reasons why I started the show was to, to really dive into the other part of what I do with wealth planning is the emotional side. And a lot of that is dealing with people's careers. I often tell people your biggest most people think their biggest asset is their portfolio or their house or something like that, some physical asset. I'm like, no, it's not. It's your career. It's, right. it's what brings in the income. So talk to us about what it was like that transition from your corporate recruiting role to actually starting Purple Squirrel. Oh my gosh. It's like a blur. Um, I like had, having another baby, right? <laughs> yeah, no, I mean, I had two babies at home. So my first two kids were, were born uh, 12 months apart, Irish twins. So we moved, we had two babies and I kind of went out on my own or all around the same time. And like, you don't know what you don't know, you know, when you're, when you're starting out. And I guess one of the biggest 
things that I realized, I realized rather quickly was that although I was born and raised in Michigan, I wasn't really like viewed as a Michigander. You know what I mean? I didn't have, I'd never spent time in the Michigan business community. Um, I just really didn't know much about, about, about business in Michigan. I, I wasn't, you know, of course I've bought cars, but I've never been deeply aware of, you know, all of the ins and outs of the automotive industry at the time when I moved here. So there was just a lot that I, um, that I didn't know, didn't realize underestimated how difficult it would be. Um, and, you know, it's even, you know, so I took me a little bit of time just to kind of get to know the, 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 the Detroit or, you know, Detroit area business community. It's very different, you know, with, with bigger city like Chicago or, or some of these others, there's always people coming and going and there's just not as much of that here. And so I would say breaking in was difficult. Um, and so I had to really quantify success very differently in those early days. And so I think that was the biggest looking back on it. Like the way that I stayed positive was I was measuring my success um, very differently than like I do today, for example, you know, and I just had to like little, little wins. I'd be like, okay, I made some progress today. Like I got that little win, like, this is good. I'm moving in the right direction and just kind of um, making these little check boxes. So it was a lot of mindset and like positive. Um, I had to like, you know, just really keep my mindset focused on the positive and viewing even a little win as something that was going to like long-term get me to the right spot. So I definitely had a long-term view and very optimistic. That's uh, very poignant that that whole mindset set shift change, if you will, because that's another topic that I've been focused on, on a, on a, on a side project and working with a lot of families, especially those that are kind of in career transition or even transitioning from, you know, their, their careers to retirement. It's, it's a very, I think, undervalued um, transition that people go through or think they're going to go through. They think they're going to be able to like snap their fingers and go from type A personality career to, I don't know, whatever your hobby is, playing golf, playing tennis, traveling like all the time. And, and I've seen it really blow up with people that it doesn't work that way. And you have to start getting mentally prepared for retirement, just like any other big life transition, um, you know, that comes your way. Yeah, no, that's interesting. And I think people, I would imagine probably underestimate like aspects of retirement, you know, they have an expectation and then all of a sudden they're in it and it's, you know, expect, you know, reality might be different than what was in, in your mind. And so I can see how important that would be to really try to prepare yourself from that standpoint. So, where I want to start and, and really start digging into the details of the current state of the labor market, because you have, you're so unique with your um, business and your connections and have mm-hmm. a real pulse on what's going on right now. So let's start with one question that, that is talked about a lot is what are you seeing right now with businesses and how they're bringing people back into office environments with COVID. Um, because with the families I deal with, it's all over the board. Like people, like we're not hearing anything. We're not going back. And then there's hybrid approaches. And then there's companies that are actually telling people you need to come back in the office mask mandate or not like you need to be here. Yeah. And I'm telling you the, the emotions just run the gamut. Yeah, no, it's, um, 
it, it really is all over the map. And, you know, there's, there's companies that have rolled out certain plans and then all now all of a sudden the Delta variant comes into play and all of a sudden they're, you know, kind of going in reverse and saying, okay, well, maybe we're not going to bring people back in as of September 1st. So what I have found is that it seems like, first of all, it's hard to make plans right now. And I think that all companies are experiencing this and they're having to be very flexible. And so we've heard of certain situations where they've put in the return to office mandate and, um, and they've lost people. And I think the communication piece of whatever the plans are, it's very important. Uh, cause I think there's an opportunity to, to lose people either with the policy itself or with the way that the policy is communicated, even it could be a good policy communicated poorly. It could be a bad policy communicated poorly. It could be a bad policy that's communicated in a way that people are like, okay, I, I can live with, you know what I mean? Like, yeah. so I think communication has been key. And then showing some flexibility has been, you know, the, the ones that are doing it most successfully have probably shown some flexibility. Um, I think it's very hard for, uh, you know, for companies to kind of put in these absolutes because we're all dealing with so many unknowns and it's very hard on employees and just people when they feel, you know, that they've, that there's a, a, you know, such a sudden shift and there's not going to be that flexibility that maybe they've had over, you know, the last 18 months or that they would expect for, for the situation that we're in. Yeah. I think, I think that's seems to be the biggest point of contention. I know with some of the people I've talked to that are kind of getting forced back, their thought is, well, Hey, I, I was here. I stuck it out and and helped the company get through. You know, when I had to work from home, and now all of a sudden, it's like they feel like the rug's getting pulled back on them, and saying, "Okay, now you have to be back in." Well, I just proved to you that you know we could do this remotely, and now and now you're saying something else. Yeah, and I mean, I see both sides of it. I think there's a lot of value for for employees to sit side by side or to be in an office, and you know, you get some kind of spontaneous conversation. You get more of that culture building type of stuff that you miss when you're all sitting in your offices. So I absolutely believe that there's a value of some in-person interaction, Um, but people also really value the remote. And one of the things that, you know, as just as a leader, we have to recognize that everybody's had a different experience with COVID also. So you know, it may not, I may not have had anybody close to me that was seriously affected by it, but you know, two or three of my employees, they might have had a family member die, or they might've been hospital. You know I mean? Everybody's had such a different experience and there's just different levels of comfort even at this moment. And so I think what's really hard is as leaders, like we can't, um, it's very hard to make everybody like happy with happy. like a policy as an right. example. It's just a really, really tight, have sympathy for a lot of the leaders that are trying to, you know, work with large companies because it's it's a really tough thing to navigate and kind of keep everybody happy. So yeah, I um I'm glad that I'm not in corporate in a in a corporate role like I was before back when you and I used to talk a lot yeah. more frequently. Um, yeah. Now I send a lot of, of of my families to you uh, that are that are looking for help. Yeah. So from mm-hmm. from that perspective from what you do in recruiting, how does that make it, I'm guessing it makes it more challenging. 
Yeah. So there's certain things now that we're asking, you know, that we've had to learn to ask and we've had to learn how important it is. And, you know, depending on the level, some of these things can be more important than others, but basically we have found that if, if the position is a position in a company where it, it, it would be possible to do some of this work from home and the company says, we have no flexibility. We need you to come in every day, eight to five. It's going to eliminate the majority of candidates. It could eliminate, I don't, I don't, is it going to eliminate 80%? It could, is it going to eliminate more than that? It could. So very, very, very challenging. And, and this is especially true of positions that are maybe not at the exact, not at the executive level for sure. You know, what, when we're recruiting for C-level, you know, generally there, there's usually flexibility to some degree, but you know, there is an expectation for C-level that you You're going to be in the office. office. Right. So I would say these would be for like more mid-level positions. So if there's, you know, a very rigid come into the office type of um, policy that will deter many, many of the qualified candidates to consider it. So that's something that, you know, and, and in fact, we we've turned down a couple searches recently um, for that reason, because we just don't want to, you know, set anybody up for um, false expectations or, you know, we don't, we don't want to fail in a search. And so if there's that type of situation, then we, we, you know, we'll look at a number of variables, but we may not take on the search. So that, and whereas, you know, two years ago, flexibility was a perk. Now it's more of like a, a mandate, you know, for particular types of roles that can be done from, from home. So from, from that perspective, when a candidate is, you know, looking for, you know, a new role, how did, does it become like a negotiation um, option or tactic with, with a potential employer when it comes to that level of, can I work from home? two days a week or three days a week or four or? Well, so I mean, what we typically see, first of all, I think it's important uh, for candidates, if there's something that's very important to them, that they should try to um, be transparent about those things kind of sooner than later. So, I mean, we're covering some of these questions on a first phone call. So, you know, we, you know, an initial phone call is generally just like kind of a calibration. Like, are we, you know, are we generally aligned? You know, are we, you know, is, is this type of role of interest? Does the location work? Are we in the right kind of zip code for, for salary and, and all of that? You know, so you're just trying to knock out some of those basics, but that's when we're covering things like, hey, we're looking at hybrid. We're thinking that the company is going to want you in the office three days a week and work two days from home, generally speaking. Uh, or if it's a 100% in office or 100% remote, we're going to cover those details on the first call and get a sense of, how does this work for you? Um, and I would say if it's a big deal, be honest in that first phone call. Okay. So from, from a labor shortage standpoint, that seems to be like one of the, the hot topics of today. And obviously at the lower levels, like Teresa, I think ended up having to go to three or four different Starbucks last night yeah. to try to get her coffee for this morning. And obviously that's not the area that, that you recruit in. But are, are you guys seeing, you know, a shortage of, of labor talent in finance and accounting in C-level, uh, you know, the other aspects or industries that you, that you recruit yeah. within? Well, so 
I'm generally very curious. And so I'm at, I've been, if I come across somebody who's, you know, business owner or leader, um, I've just been asking kind of what they're experiencing just because it's good information to have as a recruiter. So I think that this labor shortage and salary and wage increases, they're happening kind of widespread. Um, We're definitely seeing it more, I would say from a professional standpoint, we're seeing it more in the, like, let's say entry level, which we don't do a lot of entry level searching, but we're hearing of it more kind of, you know, maybe like one to two years of experience up to about 10. That's where there seems to be the most competition for talent. And um, it's like, so for example, like auditors, like CPA firms are really, really in a talent war at the moment for, for, uh, you know, kind of people at all levels, but I would say, especially from like your senior associate up to your manager or senior managers, there's a tremendous amount of competition for that talent. And I think specific to audit, you've got a lot of exits out of public accounting as an, you know, we often see people coming out of audit and going into being a controller, or, you know, you could go from audit into transaction advisory services. There's a few different like kind of exit points from audit that we see. And so I think audit is particularly difficult at the moment when we, when we're talking about professional, you know, and and things that we're doing. Um, So that's where we're seeing it a lot. And then I think the other factor weighing into this here in the Midwest we're really at a disadvantage from a competition standpoint because companies in much higher cost of living markets, like in California, New York, other areas, they're coming into our market and they're recruiting this talent and they're offering, in some cases, California wages for somebody to sit and work from a home office. So you're actually seeing that because I've yes, I've read that about is it. Happening, yes, that is happening. I talked to I've talked to many many. Um, people, and this is actually happening. There's, yes. And, and I talked to somebody yesterday who said that they've had four of their staff members get kind of recruited out and the salary increases were between 40 and 100%. That to work incredible. on a 100% remote position. So this is the thing that I would say though, is that it sounds very, of course, it sounds very appealing to these, you know, young professionals, but there is a downside. I think that people are maybe not considering for a position that's 100% remote on a long-term basis. And, you know, they may develop, their careers may develop slower than their peers who have a chance to, um, you know, interact with and kind of directly, you know, work with a team eventually, you know, it's not remote can be fine, I think, in the short term, but I think long term there will be lost opportunities from a development standpoint by working in a, in a home office. Yeah, I would I would tend to agree with you. I mean, going back to my career and and just listening to other people talk about it, your remote sounds great on the surface, especially given your situation. Everybody's different. Like if you're yeah. if you're a working parent, remote is you know is a, a really nice it was a nice perk. Then you get used to it. And now it's like almost a necessity, especially, you know, like you have three kids, I have four, but if, if you're a younger person, how do you end up landing that mentor within the company? Like being remote is, I would imagine that's gotta be more difficult, right? Yeah, absolutely. I I just think that 
you know, some of those like spontaneous or those, those conversations that happen or those things you overhear or, you know, a colleague is asking a supervisor a question and you're nearby and you get to hear, I mean, there's just all these, this learning that you're going to have by being around your peers that it's just not as natural for that stuff to happen uh, virtually or via video. And, um, you know, there's, there's probably questions that don't get asked that might get asked if you were, you know, sitting a couple desks down. And so I think that in the long term, it will maybe stunt the growth of that young professional um, if, if they stay in a remote setting on a long-term basis. So, so, yeah. so to, to that end, like how, like, what are the conversations, you know, my, the audience of this podcast tends to skew older. So, but I, I know there are some younger, um, younger people that do listen. So for, for that age demographic, if you will, what do you, I guess, what conversations are you having with them to kind of open their eyes and make sure that they're really thinking about the position that they're looking for in the right manner that's going to help them, not just in the short term, but long term as well? Yeah. So I think being very um, deliberate about trying to, you know, consider your career path. And so money is certainly a, a piece, an important piece of the equation, but there's also, you know, different, different things that should be considered, like, you know, your manager, um, what kind of training and development are you going to be provided? How does this, how does this next role build your resume? And so, you know, for example, with like somebody in public accounting, there's certain people that are, are in public accounting that are really going to, you know, aim to stay in public accounting. Maybe they're going to go that partner route, but there's others that may say, you know, I eventually want to be a CFO. That's where I see my long-term career role is to be a CFO. So what can you do today to kind of start positioning, kind of taking that, you know, helping your career move towards that, you know? And so it could be, you know, I'm more likely to be the CFO of a middle market company. I should try to get some middle market exposure. I should try to understand the issues that are facing the middle market. If I'm currently at a big four firm and their client base is primarily Fortune 500, maybe I should move into a mid-tier firm where the, whose client base is more middle market, get exposed to that, trying to get, you know, diverse industry experience, you know, trying to just pick up, you know, again, learn, you know, learn about different businesses, learn how does this middle market business differ from the publicly traded SEC, you know, like just, I would say trying to kind of check some boxes and get exposed to different things is very beneficial. Um, you know, finding a leader, a mentor um, to help you develop and think about some of these things. Somebody who's kind of a little bit ahead can give you suggestions. Um, so really trying to be thoughtful about your career and figuring out does the next position that I'm looking for check a box of something new that I don't already have. Am I going to pick up a tool in my tool belt? Um, you know, if you're a controller and you want to be a CFO, like what, what does the CFO job description look like? What don't I have on that CFO job description? There's treasury tax, all these different things that usually are responsible with the CFO. Raise your hand in your current role and say, if you're you know, currently a controller and you haven't been exposed to some of those things, See if you can get on a special project and build up your skill set there. So there's things that you can always do to kind of grow and start, you know, building those things for the resume of, of um, you know, checking those boxes of qualifications. And, and to take that question and, and go on the flip side for somebody that's maybe not senior, but like 
mid mid career, like what what would you offer for them as far as like going through the same you know interview process or you know career development thoughts? It's hard. It's so. So there's a lot of movement right now, just purely based on economics, you know, the money piece. And so I, I think it would go back to like, what's important to you? How does, you know, what, where are you trying to, to head? How does this job meet those requirements? You know, really trying to make it about more than money. Like if we talk to a candidate and it's super, super focused on money, then my, my instinct is telling me, well, gosh, like, it's got to be about the opportunity. If they're, if it's just about the money, then they're going to get a call from a recruiter a year from now, and they're just going to jump ship if they can get an increase. So like, I feel like it ha- you have to try to figure out from an opportunity standpoint, once what's going to make something appealing, you know, for some people it's, um, you know, core value alignment and, you know, working for a company that, you know, has a certain mission or, you know, I think that this, this COVID situation is really, made people think more about where am I spending my time? Um, you know, what's important to me. And so there's a lot of people that are making job moves based on their priorities of, you know, I want to, I want to feel more fulfilled in my work, you know? And so I think you, at the end of the day, if it, if if it, if the the decision should, should come down to more than just the economics, it should be something else, fulfillment, growth, learning, something like that. From a, from a personal and business standpoint, from your perspective, when you get a candidate that comes to you, that's, that is just focused on that money aspect. Like, do you, you, do you try like talking, talking sense into them or giving them? So, I mean, sometimes we find candidates and and I'm not saying that money is always, I mean, it's usually money and, you know, Mm -hmm. and so like, there's often candidates that will say, I feel that, that I'm underpaid. I haven't received a raise in several years. And so they're probably feeling underappreciated also, yes. you know, so it's usually money and, and so money is maybe what's front and center, but there's something underlying there. That's probably also making them dissatisfied in their current role. And so that's where we would want to go. Okay. Well, why do you think that is? Why do you think you're underpaid? How did you end up, you know, in a situation where you're underpaid and, you know, really trying to get to that deeper issue and, you know, that's what you're trying to solve is probably the deeper issue. And I think that's, that's the uniqueness of a firm like you in Purple Square. Um, and why I, when I have somebody that's kind of going through that, I want to get them to you, you know, as long as they fit within, you know, your, your, the industries that you search in to you, because I know how well you care for both the, employer that, that, that it's hired you to find somebody, but also that in that potential employee, because you want to make a good fit. And right. I, I think, you know, I can still go back to my corporate days and just remember what a headache it was dealing with most recruiting firms because you were just a number. And I know that's not the case with, with your firm. No, it's not. And I mean, I think we always try to read between the lines and I mean, I just, right before I jumped on here, I had a call with a, with a candidate. So we've got a search. We're kind of at the final stage. We've got three candidates who they really like the, the top candidate. I've just been sensing like this candidate is not that interested in the position. She was very passive. You know, we do a lot of pinpoint recruiting, finding people that meet exactly the specifications of the client. So she wasn't looking, she didn't have a resume prepared when we reached out. 
but she's like, I'm intrigued. I'll listen. I'll, I'll go through this process. And so she's had a number of interviews. She's now their top candidate and they want to schedule this final step. And, and I reached out to her and I said, you know, I'm just not sensing that like that you want this. Like I know you've had a lot of opportunity to learn, but I just don't think you want this job. And I was like, we've got two other candidates that really do want the job. And I said, I would encourage you to do some soul searching and decide if they make you a great offer, are you going to accept? And I said, if the answer is no, I don't, you might not want to go on this final interview. You know, it just might not make sense. And she's, she was like, you're right. I think I should really consider that. And because I said the, the other thing too, is that if she goes in and she interviews and they give her an offer and she says, no, it harms, like everybody's now got something in their mind yep. and it harms the candidacy of the, of the other people who really want the job. And I mean, those factors all. And so, I mean, I just like said to her, I said, I'm not going to twist your arm to, to, to do this. Like if you're not interested at this point in time, like maybe you should back out. So this is, I didn't think of this question, but you just, you just brought this up. And I, I love the fact that you just gave that example because I wanted, I wanted to get, give people a sense for what it's like to be in your shoes and trying to, the seesaw balance between what the employer needs and what the employee needs. That's, that's more like uh, more art than it is. It feels like it's more art than it is science, Carrie. Like, so how long did it take you to develop into that and to have that split personality, if you will? That you it's can an deal intuition. With. It, there's a lot of intuition. And I don't, I think you either like you have the intuition or you don't. And I think that's why I love recruiting and I'm good at it is because I do, I can just, I can read between the lines and I just have this intuition on what's, what the candidate or the client is not saying. Um, but yeah, it is a balancing act. And like, I was actually thinking about this the other day, there's, there's, you know, there's client advocacy and there's candidate advocacy, and you can't go too far in other in either direction, or else nobody will trust you. And so you do have to really balance. And I think it comes down to having transparent conversations. And so you know, the same conversation that I had with my my candidate, I had the same conversation with the client. I was like, "Listen, uh, I'm concerned. Here's why. Um, you know, I here's what I think we should do." And so. And then I said, I hope you appreciate my level of candor, but I just think that we could be making a mistake to bring this candidate in and especially with this broader group of people and have everybody fall in love with this candidate. And then she declined your offer. I was like, that just does not seem, it could sabotage like our success with the search. And he was like, you're absolutely right. Like, what are you suggesting? And so it's really, for me, it's, I've had enough of these conversations where most of the time they're, the candor is appreciated. And, um, you know, there have been times where maybe it hasn't gone as well as I would have expected, but for me, it's one of our core values, um, you know, integrity being, being candid and, and honest. And so we continue to do that. And I think most, most of our, our repeat clients, they connect, they expect it from us, the candidates that we've worked with, they expect it from us. And, um, it just generally turns out well. So pivoting back to what we touched on with kind of those higher cost of living regions like a California poaching lower cost of regions like a Metro Detroit where we were at. Do you have any insight on, into like how long this this lasts? 
No, I mean, that's the, I wish I had a crystal ball. I was just wondering, like, cause I mean, this has been going on. I started hearing about it a few months ago and I posted about it on LinkedIn, I believe. And, you know, just started hearing bits and pieces and talking to people were like, yep, that happened to me. Yes, that happened to me. I think it's really ramping up. I don't know. I mean, cause it, I just wonder, I think a certain, to a certain degree, it'll be here to stay, but I think some of these candidates or some of these people are going to need to experience on a long-term basis, how they like being remote. And, you know, there's going to probably be some that really like it on a long-term basis. And there's others that are going to want more of a sense of community with their, with their work. So I don't, I I have no idea. I mean, I don't think that trend is going to go away though. I think now that the world has seen, we can work remotely uh, and be successful for, for particular functions. I can't imagine going backwards um, so I think there's always going to be a percentage of the workforce that are going to be remote, um, but it's not going to work for everyone, you know? So, yeah, I think that's the key. I think it's, I think it's such a case by case basis and what really fits your season, if you will. I was having a conversation um, with Lisa Miller, who's a career coach um, uh, on this and, you know, everybody goes through a different season. So like when you're first out of college, it's a lot different than when you're a parent. Cause I remember when, when I didn't have kids, like, and I worked with people that did have kids that had to leave at four or five o'clock and I needed their help or getting something done. I'm like, well, this stinks. Like now what I'm going to do, like, I have to wait till tomorrow. And I didn't necessarily have the empathy and understanding because I wasn't a parent. I couldn't understand, Right. but now I do. And I've seen how much, um, it's, it's meant to have, Teresa at home working, um, then opposed to having to drive into an office for, you know, an hour long commute one way or more, um, you know, four or five days a week and, and what that impact's been on our family. So it's, it's really such an interesting time that this is in because it was such a shock to go from doing four or five days in the office to none. And now, you know, now what, now do do we go back or not go back? Yeah. I mean, it's funny. So here at purple squirrel, so we had always kind of operated in a hybrid environment before COVID. So like we had just, you know, one, one office and then we all worked from home and we did a lot of networking and a lot of, you know, it was just a real mix. It was definitely a hybrid out of the gates. Um, And then of course, when, when COVID hit and we were in the shutdown, like we didn't see each other, you know, for months, six months or more. Um, but then once it, things started opening back up again, our, um, we were a sublet, we had a sublet and it, our, it was running out and I was like, okay, we've got a decision. We, we can either have an office or we can use, you know, one of the workspace sharing situations or, you know, and, and be 100% remote. And everybody on the Purple Squirrel team was pretty committed to saying, we, we want an office. We want a place where we can go. We want to have, you know, we think hybrid sounds good. And so, I mean, we actually committed to a bigger space than what we had before. And we just went through this whole, you know, office build out and furniture and all of that when everybody else is scaling back. But, you know, it was, you know, every, the, everybody had a voice in it. You know, we said, we're going to, you know, everybody, you know, we, we all decided together that we felt there were benefits of having an office and having a hybrid. Um, but again, it's case by case and people don't want to feel like they don't have a voice in the matter. I think, especially when they've, you know, successfully worked from home. I think that's the biggest thing I've learned is, 
you know, that, the, you know, there's, they want to feel like they've contributed and, and they, they have some control over their, their schedules. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I mean, when, when I trans, when I was transitioning from being in corporate full-time to being at Tama full-time, I think one of the things I really struggled with was not being in an office environment and not having people around me. I mean, I went from having a lot of people around me to zero. Like I look to my left, there's a wall. I look to my right, yeah. there's a wall. And, and if it wasn't, and the ironic thing is I ended up becoming part of a couple other uh, financial planning network groups. And it's, it's odd to think that, you know, I, here I am, I'm, I'm competing with this other person that I'm talking to, but yet we're not We're he has a specialty. I have my own yeah. niche, but, but the ability to share ideas and just bounce things off of each other has been really critical. And so that's, that's been the most, I, I'd say one of the biggest challenges from, you know, my experience of going from a full-time office to basically full-time remote. Yeah, no, I mean, it, 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 yeah. And finding that community of that, of people that you can, you know, get that collaboration with, I think that's important. I, I remember I did something similar when I first um, started, you know, when I came here and I was, you know, on my own, just having people even to problem solve with, you know, like when you're working by yourself, like there were people, there's people that I call if I run into something like, gosh, I don't, I just don't know how to, you know, solve this or how should I handle it? Like, you know, having those people that I can call and be like, like, can I paint a picture for you of a situation? Can you just hear me out? What would you do in this situation? Just having those people that you can bounce that up, those ideas off of. And now thankfully we get to do it with the, within the purple squirrel team, but there's sometimes too, where like, I have another friend that's a um, boutique, you know, re- recruiting firm or boutique executive search firm. And there's times when we call each other and say, Hey, what would you do in this scenario? You know, it's very valuable to get that input. Yeah, I, I agree. One of the other, I think, hot topics, and ironically, I, I, um, Teresa, when she's getting ready in the morning, she's listening to, to Good Morning America. And lo and behold, they must have known that you were going to be on the, on the show today because they were talking about the great resignation. Yeah. Can you talk to us about that? What does that mean? What are you seeing? What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. So there was a university professor that kind of coined the term and he basically was saying, I, you know, he was predicting that, you know, especially as things started to open back up, that there were a lot of people like sheltering in place in their jobs, you know, that they were kind of hunkered down. They were in a, you know, if they, you know, they were kind of just staying put because, you know, the, the, the known was better than the unknown maybe, you know, at the time. And so he said, there's going to be this wave of people that have decided, you know, to leave their jobs. And it's because, you know, there could be, they weren't, they didn't feel that they were treated um, properly or, or well during, during all of this, they didn't feel their employer cared about them, or it could be something, n- nothing to do with their employer. And they could just, just decided, I'm not doing something I love. Life is too short. I've seen people, you know, suffer and, and I want to go pursue my passions. I'm going to, I'm going to drop my field, my, my career in X, Y, Z, and I'm going to go pursue this passion. I'm going to pick up, I'm going to move. So there's all of these decisions that have been brought on by like this collective experience that we've had. And again, everybody's had something slightly different, but it's been hard, I think for most. And so, you know, or maybe some people have said it's been great actually though, too. I know some people that have said they, they liked the fact that life slowed down and they don't want to go back into the rat race. So it's, it's such a mix. 
And all of that has prompted people to move their jobs. Like it's such a rate. Like I think I saw recently a survey in, in, in a major publication that 65% of people have said they're seeking new opportunities or something, you know, of, of the people surveyed, which would be a high number. So there's just a lot of people that are wanting to make a move but it could be different. And we've seen a lot of retirements too. So obviously the stock market, as you know, um, people with investments, they've done very well. And there's a lot of people that maybe have said, um, I'm in a financial position to retire. Uh, I used to be fulfilled and I used to enjoy my work. And now I'm feeling like I don't have to work. It's too difficult. I'm going to pack up and I'm going to retire. And we've done a lot of CFO searches recently for retirements. Um, you know, it's, it's interesting that there was a, a really loved restaurant in my town and they just closed. They just, they, the, the owners retired. They've been in a staple kind of in our town forever. And I wonder, like I saw that they were retiring. I'm like, it'd be really, really brutal to, to own a restaurant right now. Like it doesn't like, why not? You know, it doesn't surprise me that they would choose this time to retire, you know? So just a lot of that. Yeah. I think, I don't know the numbers off the top of my head, but it doesn't, when, when unemployment numbers get announced and labor participation rates and things like that, I think one of the underestimated numbers is the amount of people retiring. And, yes. and I often think about with that, the knowledge, the, the knowledge loss with that, because going back to, you know, a topic we we've hit on a few times now is who's going to help the next generation with these people that have already, you know, retired. I know yeah. within my corporate career, I leaned on some people pretty heavily um, yeah. and was fortunate. But I, I wonder what's that going to be like with this, I guess, mass exodus. And obviously, the baby boomer, boomer generation is, you know, you know, millions of those are retiring every year. And we're, we're seeing that. And I, I think COVID probably expedited that exodus, yeah. if you will. I think so. Yeah, it seems like it based on what we're seeing. So yeah, it'll be, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, you know, we're hearing of um, some of the retirements we've heard about where there's like some sort of kind of glide path or, you know, consulting, you know, where they're, they're negotiating that the, the person will stay on in a, you know, very part-time consulting capacity, which of course is helpful for some of that knowledge transfer. And so there's different things that I, I think very, you know, companies are working out so that they don't lose that knowledge, but it is still a lot. And, yeah, it's um, it's just an interesting uh, thing to to deal with. It's obviously creating some opportunities for that younger, gen- you know, those generations coming up behind. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's hard it's hard on the other side of it as well. So from from that perspective, do you see a, a level of frustration potentially with employers that you may have not seen before with you know increases in retirement? You know, g- having you know these higher cost of living regions you'll come in to, to lower cost of regions. Because I, I, like you, whenever I'm talking with somebody that owns a business, I'm, I'm instantly like going into like my investigation mode and asking well, what's yeah. your biggest problem? It's, yeah. and it's always labor, labor, labor. Right. Yeah. No, I think, I, I mean, it's, I think people put on like a, you know, happy face and they're trying to be optimistic, but I would, you know, I would say there's probably a lot of frustration and you know, it's stressful. I mean, even as a business owner myself and navigating recruitment, 
you know, I'll be honest in saying that over the last couple of weeks, I've been like, gosh, this has never been harder. Like when I'm at home talking to my husband at night, I'm like, I'm exhausted. Like this is so hard. These, you know, I've been in recruiting 18 years. It's always hard. I love hard. I'm good at hard, but like, this is hard in a way that I'm, I'm not like, I'm you, I'm not used to, you know, there's just different things to deal with. And that's saying something, knowing, having known you for, I think we've known each other for over 10 years. That's, that's saying something. Yeah. So, I mean, I would have to believe that if I'm feeling it, there's a lot of people that are feeling like, gosh, when are things going to get a little easier, you know? And so I, I feel like we need a little bit of a break. Um, hopefully, I don't know. I, I wonder like when some of this stimulus ends, you know, I think it's coming up where some of those last stimulus payments are going to be hitting in the first week of September. I yes. think there's some hope that that's going to open things up a bit. I've, I've talked to a friend who does like more labor staffing and he's saying that things are, op- you know, that it's getting a little easier you know, but the rates have gone up from, you know, like what jobs that used to be $12 an hour are now 18 an hour, you know, so there's been a lot of increase just in general, like the base rates have gone up quite a bit. Um, I'm sure there'll be an impact on, on pricing across the board with that, with that, but at least the talent is kind of coming back to the table from what I've heard at, at some of those levels. So yeah, hopefully there's a light at the end of the tunnel here. So I know I only have you for a finite period of time, and this has been, I think we could probably go on for another hour or so, but I, I want to come back to my, my closing question. And, and I know like when we let off this, 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 our conversation, you automatically listed, you know, before you even talked about the business, I'm a mom of three and a wife. And so my closing question is what is the best thing about being a parent? Oh my gosh. There's so many, but the best thing about being a parent is, well, for me, it's like each recognizing the uniqueness of each child and real, you know, it's, it's a, it's a huge job, but it's also a gift to be able to mold and, and help them be their own person and to grow. And so that's something that I love. And then you see that every day showing up in their personalities and what they tell you about their day and, just, you know, all of those things that they do. So, I mean, I, I love being a parent. I can't, I don't know that I can pick one, but I think it's, it's an opportunity to, you know, help these little humans be who they, you know, they're meant to be. Well, Carrie, I can't thank you enough for the, for the, for your time today. And I think that's an excellent way to, to wrap up uh, this conversation. And I know that we're probably going to have many more to come. So yeah. Thank you so much for having me today. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Please visit TamaCapital.com to subscribe to this podcast or to connect with certified financial planner and registered investment advisor, Paul Fenner of Tama Capital. And please join us again next time on the Emotional Balance Sheet Podcast. Mm-hmm.